turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1. We're going to do it again, people. That's a joke. It's a joke. I'm not actually going to do that. <clears throat> not actually going to do it again. Uh, we, have a, we have a lot of guests um, this, this time of year, if, if you're not in on the joke. We just went through 28 weeks through the book of Acts, uh, at least in YouTube history, the longest sermon series. And, um, and uh, we made it to the end, which was exciting, but it really says something about a little bit of the DNA and the values of this church, right? Trinity Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, grow together, and make a difference. And one of those things about really worshiping God and how it causes us to grow and even challenges us to make a difference is coming to the Word. There's a high value here on preaching and teaching the Word of God, in particular, um, expositional preaching to, to go, what is the text saying? And let, let's deal with that. So there's a lot of times I walk you through very large chunks, um, and you guys were very gracious. I think we were averaging kind of maybe near 38 minutes for a message during Acts, right? A lot of content, really thinking caps on digging through a lot of text. Well, you all have done so well. Going to give you a break today, okay? <clears throat> Going to give you a break. We are only going to look at one verse. In fact, today and the next couple of weeks, uh, we're looking at people's lives and scriptures, lives lived, and what are some of the lessons that we can learn from that. So I, I want to introduce you to a character that I'm sure is like a hero of the faith for all of you from the book of Judges, chapter 3. Judges chapter 3, verse 31 says this. After him was Shamgar. All right, how many people? Shamgar's your favorite character in the Bible. Show of hands. I thought I was going to have a hard time counting them here. It's it, nobody, right? After him was Shamgar, the son of Anoth, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. Father in heaven this morning. God, would you teach us? Would you open up our hearts, open up our ears, open up our minds? May we learn the lessons that you have to teach us today. And Father, may we return it with praise. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Um, so I want to talk about a really important art form today as we begin. Now, this is an art form that I feel like is, is almost universal, right? It, it crosses cultures, barriers, times. Uh, no, I'm not talking about poetry. I'm not talking about painting. I'm actually talking about dad jokes, okay? Dad jokes. I personally feel like I have a certain level of expertise in dad jokes. I've, you know, worked on this for, for a long time. It's, it's like that perfect moment when you can get your, your child to just, like, roll their eyes. Ugh, you know? I hope everyone here knows what a dad joke is, right? A dad joke is an anti-joke, it is categorically an anti-joke. It is funny precisely because it is not funny, right? And it's mostly only funny to the speaker, by the way. It's mostly, <laughs> mostly it's just dad chuckling over there, right? But, but, but it is an, an anti-joke. You know, it sounds something like, uh, what happens to a small stone that works up its courage, right? So there's a setup, okay? This is, this is how you do this. I'm giving you a free education today on this. Uh, so you start up with some sort of setup. It's generally simple, maybe one sort of a sentence, right? What happened to a small stone that worked up its courage? And then there's typically some sort of like 
you know, double meaning of a word. It could mean this, it could mean that, and it's kind of this groan-worthy right, situation. And, you know, using it repetitively, consistently, those are all marks of a true dad joke. There is something enduring about the anti-joke. There's something that, like, just draws cheesy dads from all across the globe to, to, to like this. It's not just anti-jokes, actually. It's also anti-heroes. Heroes who are deeply flawed, who have some sort of, like, ooh, ah, cringy moment there, is actually something that people love to see. Great example of this, the Marvel Universe. Any Marvel fans in here? Right? I feel like we no longer tell the seasons by the color changing of the leaves. We do it by Marvel movies. You know, like, oh, a new Marvel movie must be fall, you know? Right? These things are, are pumped out and so consistent. Right? They're, they're churning out so much that as of November 2020, Marvel movie franchises actually became the highest grossing film franchise in all of film history. Pretty amazing, right? I mean, they're spinning these things out at an average of just a little shy of $1 billion in revenue per movie that they put out, coming to a total of $22.5 billion. I'm not even sure if that includes Black Widow in this stat yet, but $22.5 billion. Obviously, it's popular, right? And people have been connecting with this. They've been connecting with it for years. And the creator, Stan Lee, when asked about what's kind of the formula for these movies, what were the things that, that you are consistently doing, and why is it so ridiculously popular? I mean, they could just make up new people at this point. They don't even have to have a history in something. Just make up something, give them a power, run the same formula, boom, there's a billion dollars, right? It works. But what is it that works? Something about an anti-hero. This is what Stan Lee said. The whole formula, if there was one, I think was to say, let's assume that somebody really could walk uh, on walls like Spider-Man or turn green or become a monster like the Hulk. That's a given. We all accept that. But accepting that, what would that person be like in the real world if he or she really existed? Wouldn't he still have to worry about making a living or people distrusting him or having acne or dandruff or his girlfriend jilting him? What are the real problems people would have? And I think that's what made the books popular. It's because there's this something about this, this cringy anti-thing that, that speaks to us, right? So you could have a superhero, theoretically, an amazing hero. Uh, they have all these powers and, and, and no flaws, no difficulties. They show up and do as mechana, God over the wall, just poof, everything is fixed, right? But that wouldn't be as entertaining. That wouldn't be as connecting. Why is that? Why is Marvel so popular? Because there's this thing in all of us that goes, I, I have this wish of like having the, the power to be able to face things, to make change, to do something that's right. I mean, when, when you see the, the superhero, you know, finally get that last blow on the bad guy, just something you wants to cheer, you, you resonate with that. But there's something else too. In the human experience, we feel deeply flawed. We feel inadequate. We feel not up to certain challenges, and, and there are times in our lives and times in our every hour, maybe, that you're sitting there and going, I don't have what it takes, or I feel like I, I'm out of my depth. And when you see both of those things combined, this sort of strength, this ability, but this sort of 
deeply, but this is a flawed character. This isn't a person who has everything buttoned up, and I can actually relate to that. It's a powerful mix. And so movie after movie after movie, you can change the faces, you can change the names, you can change the costumes, you can change the power, but what stays the same is I feel like I can connect with that. Do you know that that's true of us spiritually as well? We ended the Acts series. This is, I'm kind of cheating. I'm doing a little postscript on Acts here. We ended the Acts series with this idea and this concept of norm core Christianity that, that God isn't looking for this sort of super saint, right? You're in some sort of an elite squad of, of Christians. And if you are, that's amazing, you know. Um, we'd love to have you be a leader here, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> But, but for most people, what they're seeing there going is like, I, I don't feel like I'm that person. I mean, you hear stories, right? I hear stories of God doing these amazing things. Maybe it's with missionaries or something overseas or, you know, I read a book about someone who lived a while ago. But there's this deep-seated thought, oh, but that, that couldn't be me, right? Because I'm deeply flawed. And whatever I think about those people who are doing those things, I, I think they got to be up here. And I'm probably like, like somewhere down here sitting at the kids' table at the marriage supper of the lambs watching the real Christians. But see, the Bible says this. God frequently chooses the weak things of this world to show off his power and glory. There's actually something in God that goes, oh, you, you think that I can't use you? That's actually the person I really like to use, I, 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 that I want to use. Why? It's an interesting question. We'll come back to it. Shamgar. I love Shamgar. I love Shamgar because he is just such a random story. I mean, and it's really random. So we're in the book of Judges, or we're not preaching through Judges. We're just dropping in with Shamgar here. But, but the big idea of the book of Judges is this. There is a cycle that Israel goes through. And by the way, friends, there is a cycle that we go through. And this is what the cycle looks like. You're following God, and you're experiencing blessing. This is not prosperity gospel. You know, you give God a dollar, he gives you 50. It's not that. But there is a clear picture in the Bible that says this, that when you follow God, you do experience blessing. Maybe that is financial, but maybe it's health. Maybe it's, you know, relationships, all sorts of different things, right? There is built into the universe a moral grain that God put in there. And when you run along with that grain, your life goes better. When you run against that grain, it goes worse. This is how God set up the world to work. And so when you're following God, when you're worshiping him, when you're, you're trying to live your life by his power and for his glory, you experience blessing. But see, blessing can be a tricky thing. Do you remember when in Proverbs you had somebody saying, you know, God, would you make me wealthy enough that I'm not so destitute, I, I can't think of anything higher, but, but don't make me so wealthy that I actually forget to rely on you. Because blessing can feel like a trap sometimes. And what would happen is Israel's following God. They're worshiping God. But then they get comfortable. Then they get complacent. Then they forget that the blessing they experience is because of God. And so they go into kind of their own ways into a selfish mode. And they start sinning. And in response to that sin, they experience punishment. In, in the book of Judges, some form of oppressor in the area, when they're being judged, 
they feel pain, so they cry out and say, God, would you, would you deliver us? So then God sends a deliverer, a judge, someone who comes and uh, frees the people from their bondage. Now the people are free. They're feeling good. So what do they do? They worship God and experience blessing. They get complacent. They forget. They get punished for their sin. They cry out for a Savior. The Savior comes. They experience blessing. When they experience blessing, they forget about God and they sin. And this is the entire book of Judges. Over and over and over. It's a cycle. And that's a cycle in our lives sometimes. But God raises up these judges. He raises up these deliverers. And we have some amazing people. Some of the coolest stories that, that you probably heard in children's church, if you grew up going to church, right? Some of the best people that went up on that flannel graph board, you know, it was people like Gideon, right? Or even maybe, maybe a little bit more anti-hero stuff like Samson, right? We all, we all know some of these stories. They're pretty famous. But I bet you haven't heard of Shamgar. See, Shamgar is an interesting character. He's kind of positioned between Ehud who was the left-handed, you know, assassin who saved Israel, and then Deborah and Barak, which is a whole other amazing story, sandwiched in between those two accounts. One verse. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anoth, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Now, this is kind of a crazy situation, crazy story. We have almost nothing to go on. In fact, Shamgar is only mentioned one other place, I believe chapter 5, in just a reference. But he doesn't show up anywhere else. We know almost nothing about this person. Here's this random guy <clears throat> who's apparently a farmer because he has an ox goat in his hand. Do you know what an ox goat is? Of course not. This is Manhattan. No, but why would we even know what an ox goat is, right? <laughs> right? No. All right. It is, a, it is a large stick somewhere between six and eight feet. It's got like a metal spade on one end, and it's got uh, a hook on the far end. And it was kind of this. As you're, you're plowing your fields, you've got the plow, and you have it hooked up to a team of oxen, right, who are pulling this through to break up the ground, break up the dirt. The oxen, right, get distracted. They get tired or they're, they're, you know, munching on some grass. You need them to keep going. This is what the ox goat is for, to goad the ox. You see how that works, right? Ox goat. You're going to goad it. So you just kind of poke the thing a little bit, like, come on, come on, keep moving. That's what it was. I mean, it's just like a hoe with something sharp on it. I, here's, a, here's a person who's just farming, right? Just farming. Going about your day, and all of a sudden, an invading army comes around the hill, what do you do? Shamgar. What do we know about Shamgar? Not much. But we do know this. He probably wasn't even an Israelite. Or if he was, maybe he was uh, a convert at some point or kind of in, you know, a lot of different sort of uh, geographic blending of cultures and groups there. How do we know this? What was his last name? The son of Anath. You know who Anoth is? No one read the Epic of Baal recently? Right? Anoth is a warrior priestess, uh, a Canaanite goddess. Anoth was a Canaanite goddess who appears uh, alongside Baal in the Canaanite tradition. She's a seeker of like um, powerful weapons to, to be able to fight. She's very aggressive, uh, very vengeful, and kind of that 
the, the dog on the right side of Baal, he goes Sikkim. That's enough. So here is Shamgar. I love that name, by the way. It feels strong, doesn't it? Shamgar. All right, here's Shamgar, the son of someone named after a Canaanite goddess of vengeance and death. He's coming from a mixed background. He, he himself may have been someone who is a, a worshiper of God, but clearly named after a false god. Here he is, minding his own business, you know, plowing whatever his fields. 600 people come around the field. What would you do in that situation? You know what I would do? Right, if I were stuck in this situation, this is what I would do. I would complain. I personally would complain. And go, okay, God, I see what you're doing here. But you know what? Gideon had an army, okay? Gideon had an army, right? And yeah, yeah, people drank and some of them got pushed aside and whatever. But at least he had help. At least, I mean, even Ehud, a chapter before it, the guy at least had a knife, like a proper weapon here, right? Here's Ehud. He has something. All these other judges have something. You know what he has? A stick. He's got a stick. Friends, I have only one verse for you today, and I have only one point for you today. Here it is. Use what you've got. Use what you've got. You know why? Because it doesn't really matter what you've got. It matters who gave it to you. That's it. Here's Shamgar. All these people coming over. You don't have an army. You don't have anywhere to go. You don't have a proper weapon. But you know what he did have? Faith. Faith in the God of Israel. Faith in the God that can move mountains. Faith in the God that can raise the dead. Faith in the God that can use any person at any time for anything. And this isn't even something that's just unique to Shamgar. In fact, when you step back and you look at one of the lessons of the book of Judges, you know what you see? God is using creative and, frankly, bizarre things all the time. Think through some of the stories that we have in here. You have Ehud's dagger. You have uh, the next chapter, Jaal's um, tent peg. It's kind of a gross story. You can look it up later, right? Saving Israel. You have Gideon's horns and torches. Right? The guy had an army, and he literally had to like, set it down and you know, break pots and do horns and all that. Right? You've got a woman's millstone. And then you've got Samson using the jawbone of a donkey. See, throughout this whole thing, there is this lesson that is, is woven into the book of Judges that's woven into God's testimony of his faithfulness that says this, use what you've got. Because it doesn't really matter what you've got. It matters who gave it to you. Friends, when you have been called into something, I'm not saying you, you just choose to do something. I, I don't personally think the outcome would have been the same if uh, Shamgar got in his head to like somehow rush a garrison with his ox goad, you know, and God wasn't telling him to do that. Right? I'm not saying just any harebrained idea that you come up with. But if God has called you into something, Maybe it's something that's a little scary. Maybe it's something that, that you sit there and go, man, I am, I am totally not even prepared for this. You ever felt like that before? Ever been a parent? 
right, looking at this baby. I don't, I don't even know I'm ready for this, right? Has God called you into something? See, here's the tendency. God calls us into something. The Bible says that God has created good works in advance that you should walk in them. Right? Not the pastor, not, you know, your small group leader or whatever. That you specifically, God has good works for you to accomplish in this life for his honor, for his glory, and for your good. And when we walk into these scenarios and, and it dawns in you and you realize and you go, oh, I think this is something God's calling me to do. You know what the knee-jerk response for most people is? Ooh, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I need to, you know, phone in a friend here or, or, or something like this, right? The, a conversation opens up and, and it's something about, oh, I didn't know you go to church. Like, tell me about that. What, what do you believe? And all of a sudden, you know, you get that wide-eyed and be like, oh, no, evangelism, run, hide. You know, like, I, I don't know. I got to call somebody. Here, talk to, talk to them. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know. And, and we, we have this thing where we, we freak out, right? And you go, because I, I don't have it. I don't have it. Well, if they ask a question, I don't know. Welcome to the human race, right? What, but what, what, what if I'm required to do something that, that, that I, I don't think I can pull off? Shamgar. Guy on a hill in the middle of nowhere. Saved Israel with a stick. Friends, use what you've got. Use what you've got because it does not matter what you have. It matters who gave it to you. What has God given you? You know what? I think there's so many times we have such an undervaluing of whatever spiritual gift God has given us, right? And an overvaluing of whatever spiritual gift God has given another person. Right? Like, well, if I could do that, boy, whoo, I'd be, you know, if I, could, if I could sing like that, if I could preach like that, if I could share Christ like that, if I could, you know. What has God given you? I have to imagine Shamgar is looking at this thing going, well, I kind of wish I had something more here. I kind of wish I had something more. What has God given you? Are you using it? Are you stepping into the opportunities that he's giving you? Here's what I believe. First of all, I want to say this as a side note. Have you felt the spirit moving in here today? I'm going to ask that again because you guys are like awkwardly quiet, okay? <laughs> Have you felt the spirit moving in here today? Friends, I got to tell you, you cannot compensate numbers of people, numbers of pews, size of building for the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the single most important thing that any church can have because it's not about programs. It's not about, you know, amazing technology or even just really slick and entertaining messages, right? We are here to see the real work of God done who uses real people in real situations for sometimes some really scary stuff. But here's what I believe. If you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives, and friends, I believe that God is working in this place. And if he puts something in front of you, use what you've got. And I think you're going to see some amazing things. I feel like if, if this place, if, if myself and each one of us had maybe just a little bit more courage and a little bit more faith in the God who can do anything. Friends, this city and the relationships around you will be turned upside down for God's glory.
After him was Shamgar, the son of Anoth, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Use what you've got. So, what happens to a small stone that works up its courage? Anybody know? It becomes a little bolder. Do you feel that moment, people? Do you feel the cringe factor? Do you feel it? It's a little taste of the glory right there. You know, as the worship team comes up, and as we, we close in worship, uh, here's, here's really what I hope is on your heart and mind. I hope that what's on your heart and mind is looking at what God has given you, at the situation that he's put you in, and say, God, would you make me, maybe even just a little bit bolder, right? To trust you. And friends, I believe if you take that step, you're going to see some amazing things in your life. This week, think about Shamgar as we watch the God who can do the impossible work for his glory and our good. Father in heaven today, would you give us grace to not just be hearers of the word but doers? And even just such a small portion of text, Father, such an unknown character in the Bible, it is your word. And God, it's used for our good. Would it instruct us? Would it encourage us? Father, the courage that Shamgar had, the faith in which he fought, God, would you give us some of that today? And may we trust you more because of it. Father in heaven, we love you. We worship you. We praise you today. God, would you bless this place? For we ask it in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Stand with us as we close in worship today.